good to see all of you here. Welcome, Woven Covenant Church. The songs that Bobby chose today were rich, rich in the themes of Christ as the source of our hope, Christ as power and grace and life for us. These are theological words. They were powerful words. And that, I think, goes together well with our passage for today. We're going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. Verses 15 to 23. Is it possible to pull that passage up in its entirety? In the New International Version, we're using the NIV today. And as that gets pulled up, I'd like for us to read it, enti- read it together in its entirety, but I'll set the stage. We are in a series called Dear Woven. And this series uh, is a book study through the New Testament book of Ephesians. And we're calling it Dear Woven because we are, uh, we are in the view, we, we are of the view that Ephesians was written not just to one church in Ephesus, but was written for the churches, all the churches in the known world, even across time to us today. The message of Ephesians is timely and very pertinent to us, and we can take this word personally. And so Dear Woven is the title of this series. And so let's read together from uh, let's read together from uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 to 23, all together, if we could read out loud. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things in subjection under His feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. And so there is a flow to this passage. And the flow, you'll find it in your notes. If you look in your bulletin, the three hole punches, that note sheet has our three headings. First of all, there is a thanksgiving portion. There is a thanksgiving portion where Paul gives thanks. Secondly, there is a prayer. And third is the exposition. So the first is thanksgiving, second is this very powerful prayer, and third, I think Paul just can't help himself, he has to do some teaching, so he exposits the nature of power. So those are our three headings for this morning. By the way, um, I once heard a a really, really um, bad sermon (laughs) where it launched into about a 30-minute introduction, at the end of 30 minutes, the preacher said, that's... That was the introduction. And I was like, man, that's not the way to do it. 
You don't give a long introduction because you have a captive audience and then uh, all of a sudden kind of say, well, we have another hour ahead of us to talk about all this stuff. But Paul the Apostle makes a very lengthy introduction, a very lengthy introduction. Last week, uh, two weeks ago, actually three weeks ago, uh, we started with just verse 1, grace and peace to you from Paul the Apostle. So the general introduction. But then after that, there's more formalities. There's blessings. And then today we get into thanksgiving. And so that's the first heading for today. Technically, we're still in the introductory portion of this Greek letter. And that's how Greek letters, a lot of, a lot of, um, uh, of buildup in the beginning. Thanksgiving is the first heading. So let's look at verse 15 as we uh, continue on in this kind of lengthy introduction of Paul. In verse 15, he says, For this reason, for this reason, I am giving thanks for you. So for this reason, I'm giving thanks for you. What is that reason? What is the reason that Paul is so thankful for the Ephesians or whoever is receiving this letter? Why is he so thankful for us today, for Woven Church? That, for that, we have to go back to the last episode. So previously, in the book of Ephesians, in verse 13, it says, You having heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you've believed and were sealed with the Holy Spirit who is given as a pledge of our inheritance. What's being said here, in other words, last week, you finally heard the message. It's taken thousands and thousands of years for what was Jewish, uh, Jewish, Jewish religion to finally get to the point where it would culminate so that all the nations could hear. You, having finally heard the gospel, having heard this hope, the light to all nations, and now sealed with the Holy Spirit, now that you finally have heard this message, this is why he's giving thanks. And so what Paul says is, you, for this reason, you having heard, and by the way, I've also done some hearing of my own. That's what he says. Ever since I heard, I heard that you heard, that I heard that you heard. I've heard as well. I've done some hearing. There's a little bit of an echo there. I've heard that you have heard. And for this reason, not only have I heard, but I've heard about your faith. And if I could just literally translate what's being said there in the language, the original Greek, it's saying, I've done some hearing of my own. I've heard among you a faith, such a faith, such a faith. I was proud of my church last night because people were getting out on the dance floor. People were free and having a good time, especially when we got together to take a photo. And everybody was kind of, I just felt the, I felt the, the, the team spirit. And it was wonderful to behold. And the faith and the purity of the people of God, this is what Paul is saying. I'm thanking God for your faith. I'm thanking God I'm thanking God for your faith, such a faith. When I was in um, college in the church that I grew up in, I remember a young man who became a Christian, and his name was Adam. This is not a metaphor for, like, uh, you know, man in general. This is, there was a guy named Adam, a kid named Adam. And when he became a Christian, I remember seeing the most purest conversion I've ever seen. When Adam decided to become a Christian, 
there was no ego about it. He was not trying to impress anybody. He was not doing it for his parents. He was not doing it because it was what all the other kids were doing. Adam became a Christian because he was deeply convicted of his own sin and humbly came forward. And it was so pure. And I remember um, seeing his conversion, and it really touched my heart. Such a faith. Such a faith. I think what Paul is saying is such a faith. But I remember as Adam got a little bit older, he went through high school, his faith started to get a little bit jaded. He started seeing a little bit too much. He started experiencing a little bit too much in the world, in life. And as a result, the purity of his faith began to get a little jaded. And that was lamentable. It was sad to see that for me. And I'm going to talk about becoming jaded a little bit. I'm going to talk in a bit here about becoming jaded. But the point is, this first Thanksgiving heading, it's all about Paul saying, thank God for what's happening in your lives. I get the chance to see. What I love about my job is that I get the chance to see, to bear witness to, just as I said yesterday at the wedding, you bear witness to somebody making a vow, to two people making a vow to one another. I get to bear witness to those holy moments when you go to camp and your life gets changed. Or when you're at Chick, at our Covenant High in Christ event, and your life gets touched. I get to bear witness to how your faith grows, how you find yourself in a new place. For this reason, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. That's what Paul is saying. If you can hear the words, I am so thankful because I get to bear witness to the faith in your life. And he says, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. What's being said there almost is as if he's praying constantly for his church, praying constantly for his church. I don't pray constantly for you guys. I pray often, but it's not what I do every waking moment of my day. And I think what Paul is not saying literally, I pray every minute for you guys, but I think what he's saying is my prayers don't stop. And in the same sense, my prayers for woven, uh, they continue. They continue. What is the content of his prayers, though? Now ask me, Pastor, how do you pray? Or for those of you, how do you pray for your friends? How do you pray for other people in the church? What do you say? Um, I pray. It's like asking my kids at the meal table to pray. And they're learning. They're practicing. Thank you for the food. Thank you for my... Thank you for the food, <laughs> and thank you for, you know, what else, what else, what else do you think, what do you say? Well, listen to the prayer of Paul as we get into the second heading. What is it that we pray for? This prayer uh, is one of the most beautiful prayers in the New Testament. In my opinion, as I've read this prayer, as I've, um, throughout, throughout my life, as I've said this prayer for other people, I found it to be very powerful for other people and also for me. If you ever wonder, how can I pray for somebody else? How can I pray for my friends? How can I pray? Turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. That's my advice. So if you don't have the words, I don't know how to pray for my unsaved friends. I don't know how to pray for my family. I don't know how to pray for my siblings. Pray Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. 
That's a perfect prayer. A perfect prayer. So listen to the prayer that Paul prays on behalf of his church. It goes like this. Listen, I keep asking that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, here's the prayer, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. I'm praying that you would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that why? You may know Him better. So that you may know Him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in the holy people, and His incomparably great power for us who believe. So there's three specific things that he's praying for, for this church. Those three things are, can you identify them? If you look in your bulletin and the passage is there, I would even encourage you to underline those three words. Quite simply, those three words that he is praying for other people. You can even pray this for yourself. God, enlighten my eyes so that I might know, number one, hope. Do you realize how much hope there is in the gospel? Do you realize how much hope there is? The second thing, well, hang on, hope. Let's talk a little bit about hope. In uh, 1997, 1998, I experienced a very profound, deep, even clinical depression. And it was a fully orbed experience. It involved my physical health. It involved my uh, emotional health. It involved spiritual. It, it involved family. I know what depression tastes like. It is this gradual draining of hope. But the thing is, I'm not saying Christians don't get depressed. I'm not saying that Christians shouldn't get depressed. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is even in the midst of depression, when you read the Bible, when you read about the tremendous sufferings that Israel and God's people underwent, I mean, in the year 70 A.D., a million Jews died in the fall of Jerusalem. A million people. Who wouldn't be depressed after that? But even in the midst of tremendous suffering throughout Scripture, there is always the silver lining of hope. There is always the silver lining of hope. This, friends, is the hope that we're called to. It is indomitable. And what that means for our younger people is it's, it's unbeatable. It's uncrushable. You cannot destroy it. Hope shines in the darkness. And the darkness doesn't understand it. Do you know this tremendous hope to which you were called? I'm not saying that you will not get depressed. I'm not saying you will not undergo hardship. What I am saying is that hope will never die. Do we know this great hope? Now, what's the second word? Anybody know? Riches. Paul is saying, I'm praying that you'd understand this hope to which you've been called. And then the glorious riches of his inheritance in the saints. 
Riches is that second word. In fact, underline these. Do you want to know how to pray for other people? Do you want to know how to pray for yourself? Pray that I will understand. My eyes will be enlightened in order to know the hope, in order to know the riches, the riches of His glorious inheritance. I was um, really surprised a few weeks, uh, this was more than a few weeks ago, this was before the storm, and on Women's Sunday, on Women's Sunday, as the ladies were sharing, it was so powerful. People were saying, we shouldn't have Women's Sunday once a year. And it was awesome. And all the women shared a profound testimony um, and wonderful teaching. Um, but I was surprised by something that Shelly said. And you can tell this to Shelly on the way home. And she talked about keeping something called a gratitude journal. A gratitude journal. And I was like, where did she get that idea from? Because I talk, I teach about making a gratitude list. And I was wondering if she started that um, at my encouragement. You know what life is about? It's about these ups and downs. It's the Richter scale. And it is easy to lose sight of the riches that we have. The profound blessing. I do not mean the monetary riches. I mean the sense that you woke up this morning. You breathed air. You saw the flowers in bloom. We're in that time of year. We're, we're in our second spring. You made it through alive. You had food on the table. You have your loved ones by your side. The riches, the riches. I think Shelley is on to something. Keeping a gratitude journal, I think this is a good path towards health. Are you grateful today for the riches? What's the third thing? So hope, riches, and the third is incomparably great power. Incomparably great power for those of us who believe. If I can share about this whole jaded experience, for me, I grew up in the church. I grew up in the church. It was what I knew my whole life that by the time I was 20, I was the youngest old man that you'd ever seen. I know everything there is to know about religion. Christianity, I figured it out. The church, I, I know what it's all about. I was jaded. I was pretty jaded. There wasn't anything new for me to learn about Christianity. There wasn't, I knew it all, right? But there was so much that I didn't realize. And at that time in my life, a pastor came into our church. She was a woman. And I gave her a difficult time. I remember I was about 20 years old, and I, I was just kind of honorary. I, was, I, I knew that I, I would, you know, I, what more can she teach me? I know everything there is to know about the church. And she preached in a way I'll never forget because I feel like this pastor spiritually birthed me. And I've told her this. I, I, I owe a tremendous debt because she came and saw people in the church like myself. We thought we knew everything. And she said, you have no idea. Do you realize? And this is the verse that she would pray over us. Do you realize how much hope there is? Do you have any idea of the riches and the incomparably great power for those of us who believe? No, you have no idea. Because you think you figured it all out. You think you understand it all, but there is so much 
you still haven't seen. And I brushed it off. I said, she's just talking kind of space cadet stuff. And, you know, she's kind of, um, you know, living in the third heavens or something. Until I experienced it myself. Until I experienced the spiritual awakening, it was not an emotional awakening. It was not, a pro- it was not this crazy kind of charismatic. For me, it was a profound um, it was a profound, deep awakening where I realized, uh, really, the grace of God as taught by Paul in Ephesians. But then my eyes really began to open. There really is so much hope, so many riches and power. This is a way to pray for somebody. This is the way to pray for yourself. I pray that my eyes would be enlightened in order I'm, that I might know the hope, the hope to which God has called me, the riches that I have in God. And third, this incomparably great power that I possess. But before that, Paul talks about something. And I love this part. It's not just, he's not saying, uh, I pray that you have hope, riches, and power. He says before that, I pray, listen, I pray that your eyes will be enlightened. That is the key. Because you can know a lot about God. You can know a lot about the church and Christianity, but you cannot know the heat and the experience of taking off your cowboy boots and stepping in front of that burning bush and feel the embers kind of coming closer and not know the heat of that experience. You can say, Niagara Falls, this many fluid ounces, this much uh, energy created by the force of the water coming down, this wide, this many miles long, and yet still not know the experience of standing in front of the roar and seeing this spectacle and feeling the spray on your face and being humbled. Friends, there really is a difference between knowing about God and knowing God. J.I. Packer, who is an Englishman and a church leader and a theologian, wrote this book called Knowing God. And he wrote this book during a time in, in the church where Christianity was very much about knowing, um, knowing about God. And he was English. He's like 90 years old. But evangelicalism was something, it was, it was almost like a sport. It was, it was a sport for gentlemen. They would put on their smoking jackets with cigars, in the, you know, in England with a, with a Guinness and sit down and discuss theology and debate. And Packer would say, that's not what it means to know God. To just know about Him is not the same as knowing Him. And so he writes this book, Knowing God, and he talks about four evidences of what, it mean, of what knowing God really looks like. Proofs that you really, proofs that you don't just know about God. Proofs that you don't just know about God, but that you actually have had the encounter, that you know God. These four proofs, number one, and you can fill in the blanks in your notes, those who know God have great energy for God. Great energy for God. I'm not saying that we're supposed to be a doing, doing people, but suddenly you find that where you are not interested in religion, you are not interested in spiritual things, you are not interested, all of a sudden you have energy and that you want to grow, you have this hunger. The second thing is those who know God have great thoughts of God, have great thoughts of God. 
I have the unique privilege. I mean, I, I, I shepherd my church. I also work with a lot of men in recovery. You name it. Alcohol, hard drugs, pornography, um, gambling, debtors anonymous. I work closely with, with a lot of men in recovery. And the thing is, in the 12 steps, the second step of these 12 steps of AA, the second step is came to believe that a power greater than yourself could restore you to sanity. Now understand, you've got guys, men and women, who've been living under the bridge, skid row, and were able to not just get sober, but live a normal life again. And they said, I never thought that it was possible. I never thought that I could live normal again. But I came to believe, I came to believe, I'm starting to have great thoughts about God. It's possible. One day at a time, my life can change. This is the beginning of having great thoughts of God. You have great thoughts about God because you realize, wow, not only is there a God, but there is tremendous power for us to be different. Tremendous power for us to be different. The third evidence of knowing God is those who know God show great boldness for God. Show great boldness for God. I don't mean sticking your neck out and doing dumb things. What I mean is you find courage. You find courage to do the right thing, the next right thing. Am I asking you to go and do what is going to make you completely uncomfortable? I'm asking you to do the next right thing. God is saying, whatever that next right thing, whatever the hard thing that you have to face is, just do the next right thing. There is great boldness for God, for those who know Him. Fourth, those who know God have great contentment in God. Great contentment that even through the storms, both out in the world, but also within us, within us, we know where the rock is. We're able to find center once again. We're able to come back to center. These are the four evidences of knowing God, according to J.I. Packer. And to know God means to have access to this tremendous power, this tremendous power. And that leads to the third and last heading for today. Because Paul, he cannot just talk, uh, he, cannot just, he cannot just pray, he has, to, he has to exposit. And so Paul wants to talk about this power. And he says in verse 19, and this is the third and last heading, exposition. That power that I'm praying for you guys, the power that I'm asking God to help you realize that you have, that power is the same power as the power, as the mighty strength that God exerted when He raised Christ from the dead. Do you hear what He's saying? When Christ resurrected from death to life, Paul is saying, Christians, the power that resurrected Christ from the dead, it's in you. It's in you. Not only that, 
that's the first fill in the blank. It's power for resurrection. But the second fill in the blank is its power for glorification. Not only is the power, is it the same power that raised Christ from the dead, the power that is in you, Christians, is the same power that seated Christ at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. In other words, the same power that raised Jesus but also uh, ascended and glorified Him. Ascended and glorified Him. This is the power that lives within you. This is the power that lives in you. Here's the thing. We don't feel that power. And I'm not saying, I'm not trying to get us into this feeling thing. We feel more like this episode of Seinfeld. There's this episode of Seinfeld where Kramer and Newman are playing Risk. And if you've ever played the board game Risk and you're positioning all of your pieces and you're trying to conquer the world. And as they're playing this game, they're playing it everywhere. They're playing it on the subway. They're playing it uh, at the apartment And one day, Elaine walks in and she says, what's that? And Jerry says, it's risk. She says, what is that? He says, it's a a game of world conquest and domination being played by two men who can't even run their own lives. And if you know the characters, Kramer and Newman, isn't that so like the church? I mean, look over at the person on your left and on your right. And what we'll find is we're kind of this motley, hodgepodge, multi-ethnic gathering of a bunch of Kramer and Newmans. Because, in a sense, this power that dwells within us, honestly, sometimes we feel like this power that I have as a Christian is in this jar of clay, in this vessel that can't even sometimes run my own life can't even get through a day or a week without messing up in one form or another. And I love what Tim Keller says about this. When people criticize Christianity as for weak people, Keller concedes. He says, I'll grant that. On the whole, churchgoers are weaker psychologically. Churchgoers seem to be weaker morally than non-churchgoers. But that should be no more surprising than the fact that people sitting in a doctor's office are on the whole usually sicker than those that are not. Churches rightly draw a higher proportion of needy people. But these are the people who know where the help is. Because the admission of weakness is the beginning of power. Listen carefully to this. I can tell you having worked with families working with my own family. Once you admit your weakness, the power begins. Once you're able to look somebody in the eye and say, I was wrong, I'm sorry, I'm willing to let my guard down, that's when the power of God activates. But when we say, I've got this, God, I don't need to say I'm sorry, I've, I've got control of the helm, God sa- you know what God says? Okay. The ship is yours. The helm is yours, number one. Because you're number one, aren't you? But when we say, I don't have control over my life. I am powerless. The admission of weakness is the path to activating this power. Because Christ didn't say, I'm going to take over the world now. What did He have to do in order to be resurrected? 
die. Do you see, friends, the only way to true power is not this Machiavellian scheme where I need to get ahead of my coworker so I can get that promotion. Or I need to market better than that other company so that we can advance ourselves. Or I need to work out more and do more push-ups so that the girls will notice me in school. Or I need to dance better or harder so that I can win the dance-off. Or I need to perform or outperform or I need to out politicize. I need to politic better. I need to maneuver better in my company. Actually, the way forward to true power, to true gospel power, is not that way. It involves the same road that Christ took to Calvary. Because it concludes with this, God placed all things under Christ's feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. This church, this motley hodgepodge of Kramers and Newmans, we are the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And so, friends, in conclusion, you know I'm not trying to psych you up. I'm not that type of preacher. But I want to appeal to your understanding so that you might know, truly know God. And from time to time, as your pastor, yes, I will provoke. I will ask you hard questions so that you can move to a place from knowing about God to actually saying, I get it. I see how this works. And having an encounter, an encounter with God. Let's close our eyes. I ask you, friends, have you had in your life a genuine encounter? You know that I'm not talking about getting hot for Jesus. What I'm talking about is ego death. That's what I'm talking about. Have you had an encounter where you finally said, shoot, I was wrong. Have you had an encounter where you're left at the end of your rope and you've said, I can't seem to be doing this the right way. I'm frustrated. And then suddenly you realized that there was another way out, a better way. Have you had the encounter where Christ said, hey, bro, I know exactly how you feel. And you realized This is the road to power. It's following Christ. Have you had that encounter? If you haven't, with your eyes continually closed, I want to extend an invitation. Or you can pray in your heart. I know we've got young people here as well. Or you can even follow in these words after me. Lord, I can't do this my way. And it's so hard for me to admit when I'm wrong. I am stuck, God. 
and I can't seem to get out of it. Would you enlighten my eyes, the eyes of my heart, so that I might experience you and know the hope to which you've called me? So many riches that you've given me and the incredible power that lives in me because of you. It is in Jesus' name that I pray. This has been a Woven Church podcast. Woven Church is a multi-ethnic missional church that meets in West Houston. We invite you to check us out on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. To find out more, visit us online at www.wovenchurch.org. That's www.wovenchurch.org.